Hola, hola, hola. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Breaking Bun. I want to welcome everyone of our new listeners and also a shout out to our really current fan base that we have going on. Yeah. We have a special guest today. We're on a roll. We really are. So our special guest is Jerry Gonzalez, CEO of Galileo. Yeah, and, you know, I'm extremely pumped. Um, before we let Jerry kind of share a little bit about who he is, um, I just want to just, you know, add on as well. You know, Jerry was someone I met when I graduated college, and I honestly can, you know, say and attest that, like, um, he had, through Galeo, the George Association of Latino Elected Officials, um, he has an institute of leadership, and I, I was, uh, I'm an alumni and a product of that program. So I owe a lot of, like, my success that where I've been now, all thanks to this man. And I'm so grateful that we've had the opportunity throughout the years to connect and I got to learn from him. So, Jerry, thank you so much for joining us. And can you please share with our audience a little bit about you? You know, we kind of shared your title, but thank you for being on. But tell us, like, Jerry, who, who is Jerry Gonzalez? Hey, Larry and Profe, it's a pleasure to be with you all uh, as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your podcast and and uh, listening to all the previous episodes as well. Well, I mean, who is Jerry Gonzalez? Well, I mean, you, you mentioned my title and my organization already, but that's really what I focus a lot of my work on. I mean, uh, I was born in Laredo, Texas, in La Frontera. Uh, know, uh, know the issue of immigration very well uh, from a personal perspective as well as from a policy perspective. So we've been working a lot on, on, on that from, a, from an organizational perspective. But um, that's, that's just a little bit about myself. I went to school at Texas A&M, uh, got my bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering, went to work for a Fortune 500 company doing industrial automation, uh, and then made the transition to started grad school while I was working and then made the transition to a nonprofit, got my master's in public administration with a pub, public policy emphasis at the Georgia State Andrew Young School of Policy Studies. Uh, so uh, that's a just a little snippet about myself. I uh, just want to keep it short. Uh, yeah. I know we're going to get into a lot more as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much, Jerry. I mean, that's that's very impressive when you think about it, because who would have thought the journey got you to here? Right. You know, so let's let's dive into it. Let's break it down. Can you share with us a little bit? Because you said you got to see immigration, like, you know, in your in your upbringing. Can you share with us like what was childhood like for you? Um, how? And in what ways have did immigration like how because we talked about this in, in mm-hmm. one of our podcasts, right? You yeah. know, with with our culture, immigration, like at what point did it become did you become aware of what's going on in our American culture? Yeah, how did it impact you and your formation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, I mean, being born in Laredo, immigration, it's literally across the, the Mexico is across the river. It's mm-hmm. uh, my grandmother lived maybe a few blocks from the Rio Grande. So my brother and I would literally play on the banks of the Rio Grande uh, and then and we would we would have conversations with kids that were playing on the riverbanks on the other side of the river as well. Wow. Um, so it it's it's not anything that's foreign to ourselves. I was born on this side of 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 the border uh and uh and 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 because of that I'm a US citizen. Uh so just because I was born on this side of the border, but I mean my family uh has uh, deep roots in Mexico. I got a lot of family in Monterrey. 
some of my uh, close-knit family members uh, were, uh, were not born in this country. My father wasn't born in this country. He was born in Nuevo Laredo, which is a sister city in, in La Frontera. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that, that he eventually became a citizen uh, because he married my mother, who was a citizen. Uh, I've got my grandmother. My, so my grandfather, uh, my, the parents of my father were born in Mexico. Uh, they were born in Nuevo Laredo, and, and, and that's where they lived most of their lives. And then on my mother's side, my grandmother was from Mexican descent from Guadalajara, but my grandfather is French Cajun. So I'm a mixture and a mutt of all kinds of different things. Uh, did Ancestry.com recently and found out that I'm also uh, 30% indigenous uh, from wow. various various parts of the world as well. I mean, clearly in, in, in Southwest and Northern Mexico is a big piece of that, but uh, different parts of the world as well uh, have indigenous culture in it. So uh, it's a it's a hodgepodge. Uh, that's that's a little bit about how it is. And I mean, immigration is something that's near and dear. Uh, I've got some some family members that at some point in time were undocumented as well. Uh, so uh, it's it's not uh, it's not a foreign concept uh, to me at all. Fortunately, I was born in the, in this country and uh, and uh, on this side of the border. That gave me the privilege of being a U.S. citizen. But I understand the struggles of what immigrants go through. So, how often did you go back to Monterrey? And going back to Monterrey, you know, coming back to the U.S. Did that make you appreciate maybe uh, all the benefits that you had as a U.S. citizen as you were growing up? And also, any good food places in Monterrey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my my tia's house was really awesome for that. Uh, they fed us well when we would visit. But uh, life is def- certainly different in 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 Mexico than it is in the United States. I mean, for one, being U.S. citizens made us uh, facilitated us crossing the border much easier than when my relatives would come to visit us. Uh, they would encounter problems. There was uh, they would wait in long lines, uh, all kinds of uh, all kinds of crazy things. So uh, some of those privileges become apparent. And even as a even as a kid, I understood uh, that that I was different because of my citizenship uh, and that I had special privileges in making that that trip to Monterrey and returning back uh, to Laredo for, for those trips. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that even as a child, I, I recognize that with citizenship came the privileges that, that many didn't have. Mm. And how do you feel like that influenced your decision? Like when you talk about like looking back at your educational like pathway, right? Like going to Texas A&M and being a student there, like, did you feel like your upbringing and having this experience influenced like the decision of like either choosing the major that you did or the school that you attended? Yeah, I think, I mean, part of that came, came to the forefront. I think, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, my family was, it's not your, your, well, it's, it's more common than, than it should be. But uh, my mother was divorced uh, and uh, raising four kids uh, by herself, uh, and uh, we we had a hard time. Um, so I was helping raise my my younger brother at that at that point in time. I'm the first in my in my family to graduate from uh, to to get a bachelor's of science uh, in, in in our family, and then uh, my mother had gotten her GED. Uh, while I was in high school as well. So I think uh, 
watching her work two, three jobs at a time, uh, coming home late and staying up even later, studying and doing her homework, uh, that that really made a sense of, of, of uh, really made the importance of education of how education was really vital for 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 us to to take take our familial situation to the next level. So yeah. I, I really I really fortunately I, I had a a natural born skill for being good at math and science and and enjoying science and math. And that's really what led me to to choosing the degree that I, that I chose, which was mechanical engineering eventually. Yeah. So uh, first in my family, uh, certainly not going to be the last one, hopefully. And, uh, and and that's really what led me to that point. Yeah. So you mentioned the importance of education. Can you talk about your experience going through college? What were some of the trials that you had to face? Uh, did you have any moments of doubts, you know, any moments of maybe imposter syndrome regarding you know, your educational attainment? Yeah, being, especially being the first, being the first uh, first generation college student at the time. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was very fortunate prior to going to college. Uh, there was a minority engineering program at a local community college in Laredo that that really took some kids that were good at math and science and exposed them to the to the to the to the science of engineering, um, and that sort of got our feet wet for for what we were going to do. And then at Texas A&M, uh, because, I, because I was a, a, a minority student, I was able to get a, a scholarship. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to afford uh, to go to Texas A&M. Um, so because I had the scholarship, and then once at A&M, uh, the minority engineering program uh, at Texas A&M had a really robust uh, process where they made sure we would they they brought in the incoming engineering students that were minority background they they clustered us together but developed a cohort of where we were supporting one another they provided us with uh, mentoring they provided us with uh, uh, study groups and really this this group of of, of students. Uh, Latinos and blacks primarily uh, became really uh, my 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 home away from home family in, mm-hmm. in that process. Uh, they, they were my first experience in uh, living by myself, in uh, in in going from high school being really easy to where uh, in right. a major institution. Uh, it, things things change rather quickly, and I had to really double down on on my 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 habits and my study skills to make sure that I was able to succeed in in that process. But uh, I think it was an overwhelming experience, um, and at times, yeah, it, it's a predominantly at the time it was a predominantly white uh, white university. It still still is for most part, but it's changing uh, with the demographics that are changing in Texas. Uh, but nonetheless, it, it it was a daunting task. But I don't think I would have made it through if I didn't have the early on support structure that mm-hmm. that the minority engineering program did provide for me, and and that cohort of folks that that I went through the the in our engineering courses with. I mean, they're still they're still really great friends of mine as well. So uh, I think we we helped each other make it through in that process and the successes of, of others were successes that we all shared together. So we were really our own cheerleading squad in that program. Yeah. Well, I got, I got two questions if it's all right. Yeah. 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 So first one, we talked a little bit, you said cheerleading. Did you attend the football games while you were at <laughs> Texas A&M? 
Well, as part of as part of uh, when I was at Texas A&M, the other element of difficulty that I added to that, I was in the Corps Cadets, and I was a member of the Fighting Texas Aggie Band. So football games were mandatory, uh, and not just football games, but the marchings and the halftime shows. Uh, and marching and halftime shows was really an amazing uh, experience for me. So, uh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, I went to all the football games because uh, I didn't have a choice, but I really enjoyed it. Too. <laughs> there we go. Okay, there you go. There you go. <laughs> shoot, I, shoot, I, I always ask, shoot, you was at a big school football hey, school. Yeah, hey. big football school, you got it. It's one of those hey, questions. Hey, football is life in Texas. Come Giga on. Giga Maggies, Giga Maggies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have another question for you, Jerry. I, I'm really curious because, like, you know, like knowing the fact that you were so aware, aware of immigration at a young age, right? You go to school, mechanical engineering, then go work at Fortune 500 company. Was there like a pivotal moment that made you decide like to switch careers and say like, you know what, I'm going to switch from working in and doing this field that I studied my degree in to now get a master's and now move on to nonprofit. How was that? Was there anything uh, like a pivotal moment or event that made you switch or just say, this is, I need to do this change? Um, I think it came over time. I've always had an interest and a passion for politics as as part of what I uh, grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always I always found policy to be important. Uh, I mean, had it not been for affirmative action policy, I would not have been uh, provided with a scholarship to Texas A and M. Mm-hmm. Uh, had it not been for the uh, for the support system, the policy programs that were put in place for the minority engineering program, I would have not been able to graduate as an engineer. Um, Had it not been for the Pell Grants that were available uh, for me as a college student, I would not have been able to afford uh, to be able to make it through the whole five years that it took me to graduate from from with an engineering degree. So um, at some point in time, I came to realize that engineering was fulfilling to me and I was really good at, at what I was doing. But uh, it was me being locked into a control room, working on my computer and and making massive machines work. Uh, And and that was fulfilling in and of itself, making them work. But I like people more than I like machines. And (laughs) I'm not your typical engineer, not to put down any engineers out there that are listening to us, but typical engineers are not very social uh, not very social with non-engineers, and uh, I'm not atypical in that regard. And uh, part of that, I made the transition within the company, and I started doing marketing uh, services for engineering services. So I understood what engineers were doing out in the field, and I would be able to translate that to um, to uh, plant managers that were making decisions on en- engineering systems. And then that's when I started grad school. I said, I, I'm no one's going to hire an engineer to do nonprofit or government work or policy work. I need to have uh, the credentials in order for them to seriously consider me and 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 really uh, take a leap of faith in in hiring me to to do that work from an engineering background. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate that uh, the Mexican American Legal Defense and Educational Fund hired me halfway through my policy work uh, at Georgia State University. While I didn't even have the degree yet, but they saw enough in me that uh, they they gave me the role as the first policy analyst for the Southeastern office in Atlanta. Oh, wow. So now you enter grad school, it's very, very different than undergrad, right? Mm -hmm. And again, you're really first gen, get a career, going to grad school. 
what were some of the trials you had to face in grad school that maybe you weren't necessarily prepared for? Yeah, the big the big change was shifting. I mean, uh, people people in in undergrad that that do maybe a liberal arts degree write a lot of papers. Uh, as an engineering major, I don't I didn't write any papers. I mean, my papers were math problems were multiple pages long, mm-hmm. uh, but that was the extent of of uh, of my papers that I needed to work on. Yeah. Uh, so so going from really not writing much at all in my engineering degree to really an intensive program, a graduate degree program where you where you actually have to put your thoughts on paper was was a big uh, was a big culture shock for me, honestly. And I had to relearn everything that I uh, that I learned probably back in high school about citations and and sourcing your work and and all of that. Uh, And that was that was that was a challenge. Uh, that was a big challenge, I think. Uh, writing to an engineer doesn't come easy, uh, but it's it's necessary in the work that I do now. Is with with policy, it's necessary for the work that we do, uh, and it was absolutely necessary for for grad school. So that that was the biggest shock for me as an engineer uh, going into a, a master's program like that. Yeah. Did you did you ever think like when you were going through the process, like and when you made the career switch, did you ever think to yourself, like, I'm going to have my own organization? I'm going to be leading this organization, Galeo, that has had the impact that it's had in the state of Georgia? Uh, no, I mean, that wasn't that wasn't what was in my mind in, in mm-hmm. doing in doing that. At first, it was uh, can can can. I know how policy impacts people's lives. Mm-hmm. What is the best use that I can do with my time and talent uh, to, and my passion to, to try to make an impact for, for others? Uh, because of my background, I felt I had a responsibility uh, to be able to open up the doors of opportunity for, for others as well that may be less fortunate than, than what I was as well, or that were in the same little situations that I was uh, just, I think it was a lot of luck. It was a lot of, yeah, it was, it was my hard work in, in high school. I, I was, I, I, I did my due diligence in high school. I, I did, I, I was, uh, I, I did my work, but by the same token, it was a lot of luck that, that, opened opportunities for me. And it shouldn't take luck for people in disadvantaged situations uh, to be able to make it through school. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it was, that, that's, that's part of what led me to, to make some of those decisions and particularly focusing on policies has really been a passion. And in the pursuit of, of pursuing this new career in policy, right? Like it, and it can be scary because like I, I have my little brother and I mean him talk because he's, he's an engineer as well. But we're always thinking of like, you know, maybe what could be next? What could he do after, right? Maybe life outside of engineering. It's always a scary topic because it's like, you know, you learn a trade in essence, right? And the skill set that you're really, really good at that. Let's be honest, it's a well-paying industry as well. <laughs> but did you ever have a breaking point where it was just like maybe very overwhelming where like, you know, you didn't not say that you didn't have the confidence within yourself, but like you doubted yourself. You're like, am I making the right move by leaving what could essentially have been a comfort zone for you, something that you were good at to go into something else that, you know, if luck did play a part into it, but like, you know, in essence, like, you know, it's, it's been successful in the fact that like, you know, you are here where you're at here today, but did you ever have any moments of doubts while you were through this process? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, number one, 
there aren't many, there are not many Latinos in, in the STEM fields, uh, mm -hmm. engineering in particular. Um, and, and yes, the money was, was great. When I worked, when I took work for the, as a policy analyst for Maldif, the pay cut was significant. Uh, I mean, I could have easily made double as an engineer uh, because uh, I was working in a role that uh, I was able to uh, earn time and a half and even double time uh, for when I was working extra hours uh, in that process. So I could easily double my salary as an engineer uh, compared to what I was making as a policy analyst for Maldives. That was a significant, uh, significant uh financial, uh, I guess, consideration that, that we had to make. Uh, and fortunately, we, I was at a point in my life where I was, uh, I, I was able to make that decision, uh, for that financial decision, uh, that I wanted to focus on the passion um, rather than the, the, the money mm -hmm. in, in, that, in that process. So, uh, but I doubted myself uh, when starting out, I doubted myself because I, I had uh, gotten used to making the, the salary that I was making as an engineer. And that was not near, <laughs> nearly the same <laughs> as what I was making in, in the nonprofit sector. So it was a big it was a big struggle uh, getting used to that. But then when I would go to the Capitol and speak up on, on behalf of our community to really racist legislators that that had all these preconceived notions of what our community was about uh, that really were not not reality. Uh, it, it really, I think, I, and I was the only Latino at the Capitol back then when when we when we started that process. Mm -hmm. uh, it really it really did say to me that I was doing the right thing at the right time uh, for 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 what I needed to be. God led me to to the to where I needed to be at that point in time, and and I'm grateful for that. So you started, you know, uh, Galileo. What were some of the difficult parts about starting your nonprofit organization? And how did you overcome those difficulties? Because, I, you know, it's a lot easier said than done when you're trying to start a nonprofit. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it really is like a startup. Um, and uh, from from all sense and purposes, uh, first uh, is is establishing sort of what is it? There's There's a lot of need in our community. Uh, and what is it that we're going to do that's unique, that's different, that, that number one, I had the capacity to be able to deal with, uh, and number two, uh, that's, that's needed in our community. Uh, so intersecting those two was, was really essential, and then not making sure not to do too much, not to take on too much of what you wouldn't be able to handle. I was the only staff member for the organization for, uh, I would say, maybe about the first eight to 10 years of the organization before we were able to raise enough money to add one staff and then added two staff. Now we're up to uh, 11 staff members uh, on board with us as well for the, for this year. So it, it, it truly was an, um, uh, an entrepreneurial um, endeavor because uh, we had to create a business plan. We had to create a fundraising plan, a marketing plan. We had to make sure that we, we created programs. Uh, we were seeking volunteers to help us implement and execute our programs that we were implementing. Uh, so it was a it was a it was a, a twenty four seven uh, 
job basically for the first, I would say, 10, 15 years because of uh, just the resources that we had did not enable us to, to grow for based on the need in just a few areas that we were looking at, both civic engagement and leadership development of the Latino community. So it, it was truly an entrepreneurial endeavor at that time. What kept you motivated through all of that? I mean, like, you know, you're, tr- you know, you have the passion, you know, for being, you know, at the time when you came in, you, you know, you, you were the only Latino at the Capitol. Now to have, to start the organization, create all these plans for the marketing, the fundraiser, fundraising, what kept you motivated? Because I can only imagine that you must have had several breaking points with trying to do it and then being by yourself for so long until you finally hired your first <laughs> staff. I can imagine that was a big break <laughs> too, right? So yeah, yeah kept you motivated. I mean, there, there were a lot of there were a lot of times um, when when there was second guessing. Uh, I mean, people, some people in the community were saying you're not Latino enough to, to represent the Latino community at the Capitol and represent Latino interests. Uh, because I was a citizen. Um, I was, I, I, my Spanish was horrible at that time. Está mucho más mejor ahora. And that was a challenge in and of itself as well. Um, and I think what kept me going was the fact that um, I felt I was living my best uh my best uh, ability to be able to do what was the best need at that time for our community. Uh, And uh, there was a huge need for Latino interest to be discussed uh, fully and to be somebody to advocate for our Latino community in the Gold Dome uh, that wasn't being heard. And it made for a lot of uncomfortable conversations with elected officials and those in power because they wanted, uh, I mean, Senator Saxby Shambliss uh, said, we don't want to give them immigration reform because uh, then who's going to work the farms as if that's all we're capable of doing. Uh, and that that's that's really what, what kept me going is like, listen, I believe our community's got uh, great, uh, great talent and potential. Uh, we need to make sure that we have policies in place that really embrace that potential, not just for the sake of our community, but for the sake of all Georgians, really. Uh, so that's really, I think, keeping in mind the vision of what we had and what we wanted to create um, really kept me motivated, uh, despite all of the, the challenges and opportunities that, that came, came before us. So you mentioned you had a difficult time at first making a connection with the local Latino community. What changed? So what's, did you change your strategy? Uh, how did that shift occur where the community started reaching out to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think it wasn't, it wasn't that there was a, not a connection with the local community. It's just like any, any other, uh, any other endeavor. Uh, sometimes egos get in the way. Uh, people, were doing the work longer before you. I was maybe what, 20, 25, 26 years old when I was doing that work. And, and I, I'm not, I'm the good thing about not being an immigrant is that I don't approach the, I don't had deference to, to folks that were necessarily older than me, just because they were older than me. Uh, I felt enough confidence where I would own my own space in that in that regard, mm-hmm. and and uh, in our community, whether it's good or bad, or it's it is 
part of the culture is there's a lot of deference to to folks that are older. Um, and that really was, I think, what what I was saying. People were just wanting to put me in my place, if you will. Um, but but I, that I wasn't deterred by that, and I felt that I had something of value to bring, and I did the work. Uh, no matter what the, the 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 challenges were, and no matter what the naysayers would say. Um, I, I did the work and I showed up for our community when I needed to show up and nobody else was there. Uh, and I spoke up when nobody else was willing to speak up as well. So um, despite all of that, uh, I think uh, it would, that's, and when I continued to show up and speak up for our community, that's when uh, there was uh, a, a growing uh, momentum of, of folks being involved and getting more interested in the work that we were doing uh, because they they felt that they weren't being heard otherwise mm -hmm. and they saw that I was a voice one of one of those voices and and that's when when we started growing that you know there's a lot of talking about mental health these days right and hearing your stories is amazing to know that like you know you're motivated by the, the bigger cause, right? The, 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 the opportunity that you have to make change as an agent of change, right? But I also feel like sometimes, um, whether we like to admit it or not, it does take a toll on our mental health because you're putting the needs and of, of, of a community above your own sometimes. Has, by pursuing this passion, you know, developing Galileo, has it affected your mental health? And if so, what were some things that you either had to do different or 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 or, um, or change up to be able to continue, you know, your passion and purpose? Yeah, I mean, there were moments, uh, there were challenging moments. There were moments when I cried. There were moments when I didn't know what was going to, whether we were going to be around the following day or the following week. Mm -hmm. um, there were moments that, that 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 were certainly very challenging. I think, uh, fortunately, uh, I have a loving spouse that supported me in this process, and he's always been very supportive of mm -hmm. of doing the work that that we've been doing in the community for all this time. Uh, having a, a supportive family, I think, like that is is really important. Uh, but also being able to talk through. Uh, some of the challenges and, and obstacles and and struggles that 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 I had uh, in in that whole process, and then uh, and then not being afraid to ask for help when when you need help, uh, whether it is um, you need encouragement, whether it is uh, you need a, a an ear to vent to, whether it is uh, you just want to. To drink a couple of cervezas with somebody <laughs> uh, to blow off the steam. I mean, it's it's uh, it's all part of making sure that we can do it for us. Uh, it's it's sort of, I, I equate it to like like doing a marathon. Um, if you go out and and run as fast as you can for the first couple of miles, you're not going to make it the rest of the way uh, and and finish the race. Uh, you got to pace yourself, uh, and and with that is uh, you have to pace yourself in that, um, and and make sure that you can take time to to rest and take time to recharge, and take time to disconnect from it too. Because I said you could you could do this job twenty four seven, but it, doing it twenty four seven will put you six feet under, 
and and then you're no good to anybody else. Um, so uh, making sure that you can recharge yourself, uh, reground yourself even sometimes, and and taking the time to take care of yourself, your mind, your spirit, uh, and and your body are, are important, and and you need to take care of that holistically. So with that, in your opinion, Jerry, what are the characteristics of a successful leader? Um, uh, success is 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 is, 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 is such a complicated. Uh, um, I, I think uh, for me, leadership is about not just about a title or a place that you have. It is about who else you can bring to the table that brings a perspective that that isn't being heard, isn't being listened to. It's about creating the space to invite others to build community uh, together. Um, I think that that's what success is as a leader, whether you're doing it in business, in philanthropy, or in the nonprofit sector or social justice movement sector. Uh, it's about how you bring people together to share community. Uh, and that's where community comes from is you're in commune with people. Uh, so that, to me, that's, that's what success is. You know, that's so amazing to hear Jerry say this because in all the questions, and I don't know if this is my take in all the questions that we're asking you, it's never about yourself. Yeah. It's never about Jerry. <laughs> it's about the community. It's about bringing others to the table. It's, it's about, the about, team. it's about the team. It's about making sure that the voices are heard. That is so freaking admirable, man. That's awesome. Jerry. Shoot. Okay. So let me ask you another loaded question. Cause I know success, <laughs> but do you think you're successful, you know, given everything that you've gone through this journey that you went through, do you think you're successful at this point? And then, you know, what's next? What is it that you want next for yourself at this point? Well, um, we've been advocating for immigration reform since we started our organization and we still don't have it. We have a Congress that's abdicating its responsibility to pass immigration reform. Um, and that's shameful. Um, so defining success just by that uh, is would, would mean that, that we're not quite there yet and there's still work to be done to make sure that we get the elected officials uh, in Congress that have the moral uh, the moral courage to be able to do what's right uh, is mm -hmm. is vitally important and that's that's what we work for respect for our community is is vitally important uh, and I think that that's part of what we're earning uh, the Latino community, showed up and showed out in the last election. And, and really the nation and the world were looking at Georgia and what happened in January of 2021 with us electing uh, two Democratic U.S. Senators uh, to the U.S. Senate and, and flipping control from Republican to Democrat because of, because of Latino voters in Georgia that showed up in record numbers. Uh, so that in and of itself is success, but that's not success that I can claim. That success that that our community accomplished. I mean, the Latino community in Georgia had been outperforming the national the national Latino voter participation rate in Georgia for many election cycles. Mm -hmm. uh, it was this uh, uh, a unique set of circumstances that really drove the successes that we saw for our community in voter turnout in the 2020 election cycle. So uh, the the success of of having someone like yourself, Larry, be in, in the role that you're in and continuing to 
continuing to do uh, things for others as well is, is another example of success. There's GIL alumni like uh, David and Angela that were at UNG as well and started with the GIL program. And, and they came to me and they said, well, uh, nobody's focusing on high school students right now. I said, you're right. So what are you going to do about it? And what is it? Uh, maybe 10, 20 years later, they've got a, a, a strong organization, Hispanics organizing organization promoting education, where they have uh, tons of high school chapters all over the state and the country that are encouraging uh, Hispanic students to go to college and to, and to, and to continue their, their education. So uh, I think that there is a, a tremendous amount of success. There's a lot of stories about success that we can talk about. But yeah, I think uh, there's there's still a lot of work for us to do here in Georgia to, to continue to have bring respect, the respect that our community deserves. Uh, we continue to work towards uh, getting that respect from the policymakers and the politicians in our state. Mm. So this is a very deep question, Jerry. We're getting a little philosophical here. <laughs> what do you hope to see in the next 10 years with your organization with the Latino population here in Georgia and with yourself? Uh, I think in the next 10 years, uh, judging from what we've seen in the last 20, uh, the Latino community is only going to become a stronger, uh, stronger force in Georgia. Mm -hmm. Both electorally, uh, our power is growing. From a population, our power is growing. From an economic workforce uh, power that continues to grow, uh, and and Latinos, uh, there's there's Latino leaders all over the state that are doing great things for our community. So I think that you, we're going to see sort of it's a, it's a renaissance period. I think in the next ten years, for Latinos reaching uh, re, being put in positions of power uh, in more instances than not, whether it's appointed, whether it's elected whether it's, uh, it's, it's uh, selected for, for, for serving our communities. I think we're going to see a lot more of that because our community uh, is now a vital part of Georgia. In the, last, in the last 10 years, in the census growth that we had, Latinos represent 10% of the state's population, which is over a million now, but we accounted for 30% of the population growth. Uh, and that means that, uh, that means that the average age of Latino is 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 younger than a millennial, so that means that we're going to continue to we're going to continue to have more babies. Uh, <laughs> so so I, I see I see many great things happening for our state because there's going to be a greater power for our community, and with that power comes greater responsibility to make sure that we we remain true to the values that we have uh, of respecting immigrants, respecting the work of immigrants, and respecting our families in that process. So I, I'm, I'm excited over the next 10 years. For me, in the next 10 years, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm blessed to be able to be doing the work that I've been doing it, but I've been doing it for now um, 17, 18 years uh, it, with Kaleo. So at, at some point in time, there will be a need for, for a transition, for a new leader, for, for the organization. And, and my job is to make sure that uh, I do everything that I can to get it ready for that next leader as well. Man, that's so Yeah. Oh, man. Heck yeah. Well, Jerry, 
Well, we're coming up on time, um, but I just wanted to um, quickly ask, I mean, is there any advice that you would give our listeners? I mean, you have such an, a strong and amazing platform and also an influence in our state. I mean, again, I'm a product of the program that you created and was well with, I guess, David and Angela and several other GIOs, alumni and other Latinos and other individuals that have been a part of the program. But any advice that you give to, to all of our listeners out there? I think the best advice is, is as, as you all heard, my story is not linear. Uh, and there was a lot of, there, there was a lot of luck and opportunity and, uh, and knowing when to take advantage of the opportunities that come before you and, and going in uh, full force, I think is, is really important. Um, and not to be too hard on yourselves in the process. You are Latino enough, no matter what anybody may say. You should be proud of your culture and embrace it. Uh, aprender el español es bastante importante también. All right, all right. See, well, we, we said that. We yeah, talked about that. Yeah. And, and, and really, uh, we have a lot of negativity already in, uh, around the rhetoric that we hear. Uh, I think it's important for us to embrace our culture and to be proud of who we are. Uh, our ancestors, we are our ancestors' wildest dreams, uh, and, and, and we need to we need to we need to own that and 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 celebrate every day for it. So uh, that's 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 a lot of advice. You asked for one advice, but no, that, that's good. I just that's gave good. a lot of advice there. Yeah, no, Larry, Larry, completely like he said the same thing not that long ago, right? Like I imagine yeah. our ancestor thing. Great, great minds think alike. Amazing leadership. I'm telling you. Yeah. I mean, oof. Yeah. Man, I'm speechless. I got no Before we conclude this, I need to send a shout out to Galileo and the events that they do and the food that they serve. So I met Jerry back in the May 2019. I remember, first of all, I had a hard time finding his office. I went to this like house. It's like, oh my God, it looks abandoned. And he had to come out and get me. And then we had a good chit chat. He invited me to the, one of their events. And oh my God, the food was just great, man. That's why I, I always ask about food. Okay. Don't judge me. So <laughs> this, is, this, is, this, is, this is right fun. Food is an appropriate part of our culture too. It is. See, definitely See? is. Definitely. Taco, Taco Tuesdays every day for Mexicans. Heck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I just never forgot gosh. that event. I'm like, man, this the food was amazing. So, <laughs> just, just you know, wanted to send that, uh, say that anecdote, anecdote about you know that one time. So yeah, so so pretty much your your thing is that yeah, Jerry's amazing, he's a great leader, but it's the food. It's that the food. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, holy hey, that's, that's one thing we all share in common. We're always looking for some good food. <laughs> there we go. There we go. The cause has oh, to come. Oh, <laughs> uh, Jerry, thank you so much for uh, you know joining us today. We think we had an amazing conversation. Yeah. I think our audience is going to learn a lot. And, you know, shout out to you and your organization and all the great work that they've done. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And, and thank you so much, Jerry, for the work that you've done in paving the road for a lot of us as we're continuing to come up. I think what's so fascinating is like, I remember when I was, and this is something short, I'm going to keep you short because I'm not going to talk for a while. But, <laughs> but, but I remember when I went through GIL and I think one of the cool things was that Jerry shared that shared a similar story where he was, you know, talking about like how he was the first and like only Latino in the capital when he came up. And that kind of pushed me into like when I went into nonprofit and then when I made the switch into higher education was because I didn't see a lot representation of us in higher ed Mm -hmm. right and so it's it's amazing to see that like you know how the years we've changed and how we've come up and taken more prominent roles especially in the state of georgia where you know (laughs) i I have my own views and if those that want to hear my views listen to the other podcasts (laughs) listen to the other episodes y'all y'all will see how my views are but um but yeah no jerry thank you so much for paving the road for a lot of us to do the work that we we are the people we're waiting for uh we need to we need to show up for ourselves and for our community definitely definitely well with that profit go ahead and take us out well thank you everyone for listening And I hope you all have a wonderful day, morning, night, evening, whatever, whenever you're listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. (laughs)